0: Here's the deal. We've been in this series from Monopoly, a uh, series called Take a Chance. It's been about financial stuff. Um, if, you, if you've been here for the last three weeks, um, we said that there were some lessons from Monopoly. One of the lessons that we talked about was that you can't win the game unless you take some risks, unless you take a chance. And that's, that's been the challenge each week, to take a chance to do something, to, to, to take a chance at stewardship, to take a chance at generosity. One of the things that we said last week was, uh, one of the lessons that we learned from Monopoly is at the end of the game, everything goes back in the box, right? You can't take it with you, you can't use that money for anything else, because when the game is done, it all goes back in the box. We can't take <clears throat> any of the stuff that we have with us out of this life. Um, it all belongs to God. There, there are two big, have been two big lessons so far in this series. The first is this. Um, everything we have comes from God. We talked about time. We talked about our, our treasure, our finances, um, uh, the material stuff that we have. We talked about our talents. We talked about our bodies. We talked about the earth that we live in. We talked about the gospel, that we're stewards of all that stuff. And we talked about the fact that when we're generous, we mirror, we imitate, we dis- demonstrate. The character and the image of God in the world around us. Uh, three weeks ago, I, I said, "Boy, if if uh, I take a chance at being generous, and then tell some stories." And uh, I want to share. I want to share four stories that have come. And I would love to hear more stories, just uh, as as uh, you have them and want to share them. The first story was this on on Tuesday night before I headed to Kansas City uh, uh, to to uh, to go out and see Deb and Sylvie and and uh, the kids. Um, I'm at Meyer buying some last minute supplies for the house, for Micah, <clears throat> and um, and I I met someone there that I don't know that I'd, I'd talked to extensively. That's a part of North Point, and um, and this person said, she said, "Man, I just want you to know, I'm getting the messages and I'm processing. I'm t- uh, um, the." It's being put into practice. She said, we're still struggling. We don't have very much money. We're still struggling with whether or not we can sponsor a kid. We're trying to find a way that we can sponsor one of those, one of those children, but, but there's, we just, we're not sure that we can do it and we don't want to drop out. She said, but I got to tell you the story. She said, I was in the gas station and this guy came in and he was obviously in pain and, um, and he had a little bottle of Advil off the rack at the gas station and he went to the counter and he uh, swiped his card, and it was declined. He took out a different card, and he swiped it, and it was declined. And, and he, he didn't know what he was going to do. He was going to put the money back. And, and she said, and I thought, you know what? I don't have much, but I have $3, and I can buy that bottle of Advil for that guy. And so she, she said So I, so I said to him, you go ahead and take it. I'm going to pay for it. And he said, no, you don't have to do that. And she said, No. She said, I have the ability to. God's been generous with me, and I can be generous with you. And she did. What, what an incredible story. Uh, another story, there's a, a gal in our life group that, that, uh, that was just telling She said, I don't really have a story, but let me just tell you what happened. She said, I had this pile of clothes that have been sitting at home. Um, that pile of clothes was going to go to a thrift store, uh, a secondhand shop that, you know, they, they were going to go in consignment and I was going to sell them and all that was going to be great. But I didn't have a box to, to transport them in. So there was just this pile of clothes. Does anybody have a pile of clothes like that? Uh, we, they're always at our house somewhere. Uh, she said, so I've got these clothes there and I'm talking to this friend and this friend doesn't have much at all. And she said, I've got to get some new clothes. Uh, we don't have stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go to a thrift store to buy some stuff there. And, um, and the scout said, you know what's interesting? The clothes that I had were the exact same sizes that she needed. And I was able to take those clothes and give them to her to meet her need. Not a big deal, but being generous with what she had, being sensitive. The, the thing that to me when she told me that story that was so incredible was she was just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I've got, I've got these resources. I can help take care of this need. Um, third story, uh, uh, a woman actually uh, posted this on the Dropbox site, which is so great. And let me just read what she, what she wrote. She said, due to my couponing and avid sale shopping, I've had the opportunity to help others in our community and, more importantly, to teach my children to do the same. A close friend of mine shared her struggles as a single parent with two teens and the finance, financial difficulties she was facing. I asked her if she would allow me to help her because I wanted to give her groceries, paper products, cleaning products, and health and beauty items. She said that she was teary-eyed, and yes, it would be an answer to her prayers. The Sales have been amazing, and I was able to fill my entire trunk and back seat with everything ranging from laundry detergent to eggs, at a fraction of retail price. We met and when I opened my trunk, she and her daughter started crying and she told me that she couldn't take all of it. She was overwhelmed and it was simply too much. I told her God had prompted me to give all of this to her and he alone gets the praise and glory. It's through his grace that I'm able to gather these items and give to her and I reminded her of his faithfulness. She hugged me and told me that I was an answer to her prayer and that the last five months have been a huge challenge which resulted in her not being able to do her normal grocery shopping for the last two months. Because of God and love of Jesus, she now won't have to buy household items for several months, and the groceries should last for weeks to come. Is that cool? or What? Last story. Steve Houston, the the guy that, that was just affirmed as an elder for us, came in and he told me the story, and I, I, and I just wrote it down word for word what he said. He said, about 10 or 12 years ago, we had a capital campaign here at North Point to help with the cost of building this auditorium that was built at, at that time. The, the auditorium has been a great tool for ministry for us. God put on my heart a substantial amount of money, and I thought, how am I going to be able to give that kind of money? I started pouring through my head where I could come up with that kind of money, and we'd been, salting away, we'd been salting away money for retirement through work. And I thought, in three years, I could give that amount if I didn't put it into my retirement but gave it to the church instead. So I talked it over with my wife, Nancy, and she said, If that's the way God's leading us, then that's what we'll do. We did. And I'm not going to say I'm personally responsible for how well the stock market did over those three years. But our retirement grew as much as it would have if we had continued to put the money away in there. That's crazy. God was faithful, and when we trusted him, he took care of us. Generosity mirrors, it demonstrates for the world, the character and nature of God. Um, what we're gonna do right now is is something that we do about every three months, and that's we're gonna take up an offering, a second offering, specifically for benevolence. This offering goes to be used for people who are here in the body at North Point, or people who are here in our local community that, that struggle, that maybe lost a job, maybe that they can't um, pay for their utilities, they, uh, they're, they're having difficulty, and this is extra and above. There's a couple things that you can do. You can you can put a cash gift in the in the bucket as it goes by. You can write a check. You can do that if you've got the North Point app, or uh, if you go to the website, you can go to the giving place that's there, and you can uh, just mark it for benevolence, and it, it'll go completely for that. Um, let me let me just pray, and then we're going to take up an offering, and we'll keep going. God, I. I um, I just ask that you'd bless everybody who who gives just now. Lord, we know that we've already given kind of for the work of the church and that this is an extra thing. I just ask that you'd bless people um, as, they're, as they give generously to help meet the needs of some people who are here that we don't even know right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These guys are going to come down and uh, we're going to share in that. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting deal because... Um, If Jesus is Lord of our lives, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, he controls everything, right? He has access to every aspect. And that includes our finances. That includes our finances. That's uh, what's so hard about that is, thank you, sir. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Um, The... uh, God, if we're serious about following Jesus, we have to be serious about allowing God to speak into every aspect of our lives, specifically into the area of finances. There's a truth that I want to communicate that permeates the the rest of the message, and it and it's it's a core truth. It's this God God's plan is for us to experience freedom, not restrictions. It's important as we begin to talk about one specific area financially that we understand this principle um, completely. God's plan is for us to experience freedom, not restrictions. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 5 and said this, it's for freedom, for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm there. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. God, when he designed us, He designed us to live this life of incredible freedom, to be able to serve Him and and interact with Him, and to have fellowship with Him, to to have conversations with Him, and to not be bound, to not be caught by all this trapping of, of stuff that can enslave us. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he was talking specifically about the Jews that said, you've got to become a Jew before you can become a follower of Jesus, and, and so they had all these rules that, that they would have to do to become Jews before they could follow Jesus. And Paul said, that's not the case at all. It's for freedom that, God has set, that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's easy for us to live lives of slavery, to become enslaved by all kinds of things that are around us, to become enslaved to addictions of, of substances or any kinds of things, to become enslaved to behaviors, to lifestyles that capture us and trap us and enslave us on a daily basis. But God designed us to live lives of freedom, not slavery. The question for you is, do you really believe that? Do you believe that God designed for you to live free? Um, I oftentimes will have conversations with people. It's, you know, people who are far from God and they'll say stuff about the Bible and say, oh, the Bible, that's, that's a great book. It's really old. It's outdated. It's not really relevant to life today at all. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? Um, hey, you know, the Bible's not all that relevant. It's, uh, what that always tells me is that they've never really read the Bible, Because as soon as you start to read the Bible, it becomes incredibly relevant. I want to talk about that that concept of freedom and slavery, specifically in the in the area of finances, with some specific teaching today. Kind of a one thought message. Um, It's this: debt, debt, steals our freedom, and it makes us slaves. Debt steals our freedom, and it makes us slaves. Proverbs 22 7 says this The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. I like what the message says. The poor are always ruled over by the rich, so don't borrow and put yourself under their power. The borrower is slave to the lender. That's what Scripture teaches. When we borrow money from a person, borrow money from an organization, We become enslaved to them because they have the right at any point in time to demand that money back from us because it's not ours. It belongs to them. They've loaned it to us. Romans 13, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. There's this concept in Scripture that says, don't, don't borrow, don't owe anyone. Experience the freedom that God designed for your life. In uh, Deuteronomy 15, God is talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, The Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you won't borrow. You shall not borrow. You'll rule over many nations. They won't rule over you. There's this, there's this teaching that's, that's tied into Scripture in multiple places that says when we borrow, we become a slave to the lender. Debt steals our freedom and makes us slave. What's it mean to be a slave? It means that somebody controls you. Somebody has access to to your life because of that debt. doesn't matter whether it's good debt or bad debt. That debt still enslaves us to the borrower. the average person who graduates from college graduates with $30,000 in student loans. $30,000 in student loans. And that impacts what kind of job they ultimately can get. If you go on to law school, uh, uh, the, average, the average student w- who graduates with a law degree has $140,000 of debt on top of that $30,000. $140,000. If you go to med school, it's 170, $175,000 on top of that undergraduate degree to go to medical school. Now, theoretically, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, you're able to make the money to pay that back, theor- theoretically. But here's the thing that I, wanted, that I want you to understand in terms of the, the, the slavery that it creates. If a person goes to, to, to law school and decides to be a lawyer and, and gets their law degree and goes out and begins to practice law... And God does something in their heart and says, you know what, I think that uh, God wired me to go do this, to go be a missionary, as, as uh, Tim talked about several weeks ago. God has wired me to go do this particular thing. There aren't very many occupations that, that would allow you to pay back $150,000 in, in student loan debt, right? And, and that enslaves that, even though that may be good debt. Um, that, that it, it impacts what we can do. I had a conversation with my daughter in Kansas City this week and, and she was talking about their house that they have. They just bought a house in the last year. They're, they're young. It's a, it's a great house. This is a different daughter than the one who had the baby. And, and she, said, she said, yeah, we're stuck. We're stuck for the next five years. We can't go or do whatever it is that God has called us to do because for the next five years, the house controls where we live that it creates that slavery relationship, even, even with good debt. Um, this, this structure, this structure that, that when I talked about Steve doing the, the uh, capital campaign, this structure, we owe about $1.1 $1. $1 million still on this facility. It has been an incredible facility for us to do ministry in. It's, it's made an impact in the community. It allows us to do all kinds of things. But we're enslaved to that debt. If we didn't have that debt, there'd be all kinds of things that we could do. If we didn't have that debt, we would be able to plant a church in Ecuador every eight months because because of the amount of money that we spend to help um, eliminate the debt in that period of time. If we were going to plant a church here in Michigan, we could completely fund that by ourselves. We could, we could plant a new church every other year for the amount of money that, that is being uh, applied to the debt that we have. Um, if, if we didn't have that debt, we'd be able to hire additional staff. If we didn't have that debt, we'd be able to take the, the 13 acres that we have that's, that's there and we could develop it to make an impact in the community to do all kinds of things. Debt enslaves us, even good debt. I, I think the thing that most of us recognize um, more readily, though, is that debt cripples our spirit. If, you, if you're in debt, if you're there, and, and um, statistics say somewhere between 75 and 80% of the general population lives paycheck to paycheck and is in debt uh, somewhere around 40% of that 80%. Um, is completely underwater and, and doesn't really see any way that they'll ever be able to, to uh, pay off that debt. Um, if, if that's where you are, you recognize that debt cripples our spirit. The emotional toll of debt on people is incredible. Any, anybody ever had, uh, uh, lots of people here, I'm sure lots of, peop- lots of you have lived this, when the phone is ringing and it's the creditors calling and they're saying, When are you going to pay? When are you going to pay? When are you going to pay? And the phone just keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. It, it, um, that the emotional impact on that, uh, of that on us is incredible. It cripples our spirits. It destroys our hope. Debt destroys our hope. I had a friend that, um, that had a lot of medical bills and, um, and didn't see any way of ever being able to pay off the medical bills. And so what they did when the medical bills came... They threw them in the closet and shut the door. Never even opened them. They just threw them in the closet and shut the door because they didn't have any hope that they would ever be able to handle that debt. Debt destroys our hope. You know, here's the thing. Getting out of debt is hard work. It's just plain hard work. It's, it's a lot like losing weight, right? Right? Um, <laughs> How you lose weight? There, there are three things, three things that it takes to lose weight. And, and if you do these three, th- these three things, your body will change and you lose weight. If you eat less, if you exercise more, and you eat the right foods, that's it, right? That's all it is. Forget all the diet stuff, all the, you know, all that, eat less, exercise more, eat the right kind of foods, you'll lose weight, your body will um, do what it's supposed to. Same deal is there for us with debt. How do you get rid of debt? You spend less and you make more, right? You apply more to the debt and you do it in a little bit at a time. There isn't any magic thing that you can do that you can flip a switch and have it turned around and the debt be wiped out. It comes by hard work, by living within your means, by taking some intentional um, steps, making some decisions that you're going to spend less that you're going to apply that to the debt. Um, One of the best things that you can do if you're in debt and you're trying to figure out this morning, okay, what do I do about that? First thing to do is pray. Ask God. Ask God to do a work in you to help begin to get out from that debt, from that slavery, so that you can experience freedom. Pray first, and then make a budget. Then in that budget, define what your priorities are and what your money is and recognize that that budget is going to look radically different than the way that you've been spending your money over the last months or or years that puts you in debt because you've got to spend less you've got to figure out how to say no to impulse buying impulse buying is uh it occurred to me impulse buying is driven almost entirely by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You go in the grocery and you see the Oreos there. Do you need any Oreos? <laughs> Somebody's saying it yeah. out. Do you need No, you don't need Oreos. But you see the Oreos there on the end cap, right? And you say, i got to have some of those. Lust of the eyes. I want that. Or lust of the flesh, one of the two. You see the stuff and you say, that's going to make me feel better. I want that. The pride of life. You say, if I buy that, everybody's going to think better about me. You go to Sam's, right? You go to Sam's and you fill your cart with stuff that you don't have space for at home, right? Just say no. Stop the impulse buying. Because I, I, I believe, I believe that much of our debt comes um, unintentionally because we just... Because of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Because we look at stuff and we say, I want that, I'm getting it now. As opposed to being intentional and and buying the things that we need and living out the priorities that we've established. Um, Making a decision to get out of debt or to avoid debt, understand that that's hard work. It involves sacrifice, personal story here for us, it, and, and, and the world will think that that's weird, that it looks weird. Um, Deb and I, when we moved from Maryland to Missouri, our house in Maryland didn't sell for 16 months. Um, my salary was about a third of what it had been at the church when I went to the college, and so for uh, 16 months we lived on a lot less money with two house payments. It was not fun at all. When we moved from Missouri to Virginia, our house in Missouri didn't sell for, about, uh, for over a year. There was a period in five years where we had two houses for three of those five years. God provided for us in incredible ways, but, um, but it, it was very difficult. When we moved from Virginia to Ohio, we made a decision. We are not going to have two house payments. Been there, done that. We're not going to do that. So when we moved to Ohio, what that meant was that we were moving in with four of our kids to my mother-in-law's house. Um, short version of that story is it lasted about two weeks. Okay. <laughs> um, and there was a, there was a woman in the church where we went to serve that had just gone through a divorce. She had a big house and she said, why don't you come live with me? You guys can help me. Cause she was, she was hurting in, in incredible ways and it helped us. So we came in to help take care of the house." Uh, did that. We lived with her for three months. Uh, At that point, another family at church, their house opened up, they went out on a trip and they said, come live at our house, and we lived, so we picked up everything, moved from there to this other house, lived there for three months, and then they came back, and then we moved back in with with, uh, Jan uh, for three months. In the last three months that we were at Jan's, um, we had four kids there, Deb was homeschooling the kids, so we had all the homeschool stuff, all of our stuff was in storage in Virginia, um, and, and Jan was trying to sell her house. So when someone would come to see the house, when they would make an appointment to come see the house, we had to remove all traces of the rubles from her house. So we loaded everything up into our 15-passenger van, 12-passenger uh, van, and into a 4x8 trailer. And we did that with regularity. Micah was in first service, and he said we did it 12 times um, the, the worst were, you know, would get a call at 2 o'clock and say, uh, they'd say, oh, we want to come see the house at 4.30. And we would descend, would pick everything up, load it up, and, um, and take it away so that the house could be seen. Was that fun? Um, we look back on it now and we say, those were good times. It, it was not fun in the process. Do normal people do that? No, they don't but here's the deal. We had made made a decision that we were not going to do two house payments. We were were not going to go into debt. And finally, after nine months, we were able to get a renter into our house in Virginia, and uh, we rejoiced greatly when we moved into our house. In order to to not live in debt, you've got to change the way that you think. You have to change the way that you think. Um, when, When a prisoner gets out of prison... Um, it's it's a crazy thing for them because they've been enslaved in the prison. They've had someone tell them every minute of the day, this is what you're doing, this is what you're going to eat, this is what your schedule is. And when when you're released from prison, all of a sudden everything is out there and a prisoner has to change the way that they think in order to live in this new culture. If we're going to live debt-free, we've got to change the way that we think and it's going to be radically different than the world around us. We need a team around us helping us to live debt-free. It's why it's so important to be in a life group. It's why it's so important to have some mentors, some people that can speak into you, that can come along beside you and say, you don't need that. You don't need that. You can say no. You cannot go there. Why do you want to get out of debt? Why do you want to get out of debt? For lots of us, it's like I'm not sure I want to get out of debt. It's too hard. It's too much work. If you get out of debt, you experience the freedom that God designed for you. If you get out of debt, you obey God in a in a way that that's just incredible. If you get out of debt, you you have this sense of being released from prison. It's the best. Um, Back when we were young. Uh, Deb and I got an invitation to go to one of her high school friends' house. This is after we had graduated from college. I thought, this is going to be great. We're going to go to this friend's house. Deb's going to be able to reconnect with her. I'm going to get to know this guy. Uh, you know, it would, I thought it would, was just going to be the, the two couples of us. We go to their house, and there's lots of cars there. And, and when we went inside, we discovered that it was not just a kind of a social thing. It was actually a business um, deal. That they wanted us to be a part of, and um, and here's what I remember: I, I remember sitting in the circle with uh, with these eight or ten other people, and the person who was leading the group saying, "If if money were no object, if you had unlimited resources, what would you do? No, really, what would you do if, if if you had all the money in the world, what would you do?" And everybody goes around, and they're talking about the cars that they'd buy, and the vacations that they'd go on, and the stuff that they'd have, and 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 all that they'd do, and, and his whole deal was, you know, to say, oh, if you do this business thing, you can have all that and more. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know what, this is, so, this is so messed up. Because even if I had unlimited resources and I was able to do all that stuff, all that that would do would make me want a newer, better car and a, a, a different kind of vacation and a bigger house it would, it would never satisfy. It would always enslave. It would always trap us. My first exposure to Dave Ramsey was uh, when I heard him talking about getting out of debt so that you could give extravagantly, so that you could give to people in need, so that you could give to help God's kingdom grow, so that you could give to show love to others. Not so that you could go on vacations, not so that you could have a bigger house, not so that you were prepared for your retirement or your children's education, but so that you could give the way that you wanted. That made tons of sense to me because I think that that's consistent with with a worldview that honors Jesus. Ramsey says, live like no one else now so that later you can live like no one else. And his point is not so that you can have all the stuff, it's so that you can give it away so so that you're resourced to be able to help people in the name of Jesus. Is getting out of debt counterculture? It absolutely is. Is it crazy to buy a car with cash instead of on credit? It is. Is it crazy to live in a smaller house than the bank says that you can afford? Yeah. Is it crazy to wait to buy something until you've saved up the money ahead of time? Yeah, who does that? Nobody does that. Is it crazy to be extravagantly generous with the church and with others? Yes, but it's incredibly freeing to be able to do so. God created us to experience freedom and as his stewards to use those resources for his kingdom. A little bit later in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. If I take that scripture and apply it to what we're talking about today, it's this. Get out of debt. Not so that you can have more and more stuff for you, but so that you can use it for the kingdom. Don't use your, op- your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. At the end of Galatians, Paul says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control. It's so easy for us to live out of control. It's so easy for us to not pay attention to the Holy Spirit. But when God's Spirit is living in us, we hear His voice. It impacts how we use our resources. And my, my, ch- my encouragement to you today it's to start the process. Getting out of debt is not an easy thing. Getting out from under it comes one tiny step at a time. Uh, I, I encourage you to use the crown financial stuff, to use uh, Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Take the steps that you need to, to start the process, to experience the freedom that God has designed for us. Let's pray. God... Um, this is, one of these, this is one of those things there is no way we can do on our own. We're not strong enough. Our will seems like it's so weak. We need your help to break the cycle. God, to break the chains of slavery that surround us and to live the life of freedom that you called us to. God, teach us. Take us one step at a time to experience that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.